Welcome to the Online Presence Podcast, where we bring you mind-blowing and heart-opening insights to help you sell more of your life-changing offers with ease. I'm your host, Danielle Clem, a sales funnel and message energetic strategist, and for those curious, a one-thing generator living in sunny California. I help life-first personal brand entrepreneurs who are tired of putting their life last on the path to growth to make sure to help you to design high-converting marketing around your life and not the other way around. Together, we'll dive into the deep world of compelling funnels and messaging that moves people like poetry. Join me as we explore everything that an online presence covers, from new sales copy angles to nervous system regulation during scaling, to even the horror stories between balancing work and travel, to even tarot cards. We cover it all. And the best part? We'll do it together, as it's my mission to help convert your next 100 lifetime buyers. So tune in. Take notes and let's elevate your online presence to the next level. This episode is for all of my coaches out there or those who coach in their business in some way, shape, or form, because today we have on Lee McDonough of the Coach with Clarity podcast. She is someone who's been in my space for forever as a fellow client of mine, but also just a really amazing friend to go follow and to listen to because she really helps to show up in a way that is so intentional, so congruent with what the art of coaching can be. So she is an ICF credited coach. She's also a trainer as well, and really goes over what it takes to be a transformational coach and a successful business owner. So we dive into so much in here. It's actually, (laughs) it's going to be a really beautiful time. But in case you're someone who hasn't really heard people talk about the art of coaching in a while, especially in how it can be used in business more than just asking better questions and getting answers. This is going to be a really great conversation for you. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lee. I know this is going to be a really great conversation for really everybody around the the art and the skill of coaching, but in a way that's not just the traditional ask more questions, get more answers type of thing. So I'd love to, before we even dive into it, really hear your definition of what you believe learning or even the skill of coaching, the art of coaching is in your perspective. Yes. I love that we're starting here because I think it's a good frame of reference, just so we're all talking about the same thing when we're talking about coaching. And honestly, there are so many definitions out there. You could do a Google search, you could go to the International Coaching Federation, but I've kind of created my own definition of coaching that serves me both in my coaching work and also when I'm training other people how to become extraordinary coaches. And the way that I define coaching is that it's a dynamic, client-centered, co-creative partnership. And in that partnership, the, the emphasis is really to empower our clients to define and explore and embody the fullest expression of their self, of their identity. And like, I know that feels like a really tall order and in some ways it's a little vague, but I think what that does is it allows us then to fine tune what does it mean to define, explore and embody who you're called to be. And I view your niche as the doorway through which your client enters. It's the starting point for that conversation. So if you're a business coach, then maybe we're looking at what it means to define and explore and embody yourself as a CEO or as an entrepreneur or how you want to show up in your business. But 
certainly that doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? And so in coaching, we can we can start there, but we can also explore what does it mean to be you? What do you believe in? What do you stand for? How does that inform the decisions you're making and the actions you're taking? Yes, in your business, but also in your relationships and in the rest of your life. And we do that through partnership. We do that through ensuring that it's the client's agenda that's leading the way. But we as the coach, we're the expert in the process. And so we know how to create that container and to guide a client through a process so that they do ultimately, number one, get what they want, but also get what they need. That is such a beautiful description of coaching. And especially, I really love the part around the niche side, because I think that helps to really give a better lens of the actual application of how it can be used. And I actually, as we're talking, that was going to be the next question. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, where I feel like, especially as someone who's been in the business for the last few years, notice this shift for people who there's pure coaches who are just coaching, like doing programs. And there's others who I kind of, I guess, would be similar to me, where even though I help with strategy, there are a lot of times where I'm having to like help coach my people to help them kind of get out of their own way when it comes to like writing more powerful messaging and stepping into like the person they need to be to create the videos, create the content for the funnel. So I'm curious how you approach that for people who maybe have that coaching side, but don't really come out and say it or try and blend it. What's your perspective on that? Yes, I think a lot of us are hybrid coaches or some of us maybe wouldn't describe ourselves as coaches. Maybe we're consultants or we're mentors, but we use coaching techniques and approaches in our work with our clients. And I embrace that hybrid approach. The reason I feel so passionately about showing people how to be quality, ethical, highly trained coaches is because I believe coaching is more than just a profession. It's more than just a set of school skills. It's really a way we want to engage with other people. And so coaching skills are applicable in a variety of settings. So yes, we, we can talk about pure coaching and, and coaches who only use coaching approaches with their clients, powerful questions, reflection, and so forth. That for me is always the home base of the work that I do, but I don't necessarily feel like I have to stay there. There are times where it's appropriate to pull in other disciplines and other approaches, provided it's done so in the service of the client and their agenda, and provided we have the client's consent to do so. So there will be times where I'm working with a client of mine and I will ask permission to put my consultant hat on. And so there's some buy-in there and then I can take maybe more of a directive stance than I might typically do as a coach. But the trick to that is not keeping that hat on for the entire session, taking it off, acknowledging to the client, okay, I'm going to switch back here. And then as the coach, I give them the opportunity to respond to whatever I've shared and not just to blindly accept it. I, I don't want that. I want there to be discussion. I want them to feel free to reject my thoughts because that's that partnership piece and that's the co-creation piece. So yes, there is a time and a place where coaches can share their thoughts, their experience. There's a reason your clients hired you. And so they want that from you. But we need to make sure as coaches first that we're sharing that in a way where it serves the client and we give them the opportunity to decide how much of that they want to take in. I really appreciate that because I think it's something that even as I was just finishing updating my own like services page in the last couple of weeks, 
that's been something that the verbiage around really understanding that when you're, you know, help hiring me or hiring someone who I guess is a similar um, partnership type of, of situation is the relationship is dynamic. The relationship is not going to be, I'm just going to provide you strategy and go off because I've seen time and time again, and probably similar to you, where when you only give like strategy or your own insight first, you really are bypassing them trusting their own intuition. And it usually leads to either missteps, they self-sabotage, or for me, I've noticed that whatever they create, let's say it's a video, emails, whatever it might be, they usually stop working after a while because that like initial magic that would have been put in if they felt like they were actually a co-creator in the process versus just being told is now being kind of bypassed. And I, I love that part that you mentioned where it really is giving the consent of putting your hat on, taking it off. And you you are guiding them in a way too, to help them see like, I don't want you to just be in the, you know, the follower perspective. I want you to be the co-creator. So I love that you mentioned that because I think it's something that I'm hoping, especially in the marketing space, becomes more uh, of a consistent thing to ask people questions. Like, does this actually feel good for you? If it doesn't, let's, ex let's explore why. Don't start with giving your experience first because now that lens is going to be clouded for how they go through the rest of the conversation too. That's exactly right. And so it's not that we can't or we shouldn't. It's more a question of timing and how we sandwich that with consent and the opportunity to reflect. So to me, when we're, when we're moving into that consultant role or when we're being more directive with our guidance, we have to set the stage and then we have to break, break down the stage at the end. Uh, and so it's more than just giving advice or giving strategy. It's really about creating that entire experiential learning process for the client so that it's not just a matter of taking my advice blindly and applying it, but really applying thoughtful analysis, using critical thinking skills, and also connecting with their own intuition and their own sense of what's what's going to work for them and what doesn't feel right. Uh, and that feeling can be an emotion, it can be a bodily sensation, it can be an intuitive hit, but helping clients identify how do I know if something's working for me or not? And then how can I find the balance between taking in someone else's thoughts while also honoring my where I'm coming from? I'm such a huge advocate for body cues because I, I believe you can't argue with data and intuition. Like they're just, there's two things about that. But like you mentioned, if you've been in a state, like if you're if your clients have been in a state for the last few years where they've only worked with people who kind of, didn't ask them their uh, their own body cues or even have them check in with themselves during it, then it's going to be even harder for them to to start there. So I think it is a beautiful thing, like you mentioned, to also have to, to some degree, begin to help train and teach your own people on how to know what feels good for them. Because it it really is not a thing we're taught growing up. Even, even now, I think I just learned about body cues probably in the last two or three years. And even though they're so subtle, it changes how you as long as you listen to it, it changes, it changes things for you because you're now not having to wonder, is this the right idea? Is this the right thing to go for? Your body will tell you. And if you don't believe your body is like smarter than your brain, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes. We could, we could have a whole nother podcast episode about that. Um, one thing I do want to mention though, is how important it is to work with someone who 
is trauma sensitive or trauma informed when it comes to body cues and doing that kind of work? Because many of us, I am afraid it might even be a majority, but let's just for now say many of us have our own experiences with trauma. And those experiences can color the extent to which we feel comfortable in our own bodies and the extent to which we even understand our body's language and what it's trying to communicate with us. So if we're with a practitioner who rushes right in to somatic work without first kind of, you know, taking your temperature metaphorically and, and kind of seeing where are you at with this and how is this feeling in your body? Does this feel safe? What kind of work do we need to do? That's so important. Um, that's something I initially learned in my previous career as a therapist. And I did a lot of trauma work when I worked for the military and, and veterans affairs. So a lot of combat related PTSD, a lot of sexual trauma as well. And so that's something that's always stayed with me, even as a coach where I'm not doing any sort of trauma therapy, I'm not doing explicit trauma healing. And yet I also understand the impact of trauma on the whole person and on the body. And so when we're going into that kind of work, we want to make sure that we're doing so with consent, with education, and that we're taking a trauma-informed approach. That is so huge. And I, I forget about this topic sometimes because I feel like I've been in it the last year and a half post burning out for myself at the end of 2021. I had to begin learning about nervous system and somatic work and like healing the body because I had come from a space where, and I 100% agree that when it comes to like trauma, whether it be the big T or little T, like we all have some form of it growing up because if you're, if you're with humans and the other humans also don't know how to um, relate or to help change things for you as a child, you're naturally going to have things happen, unfortunately. And I 100% I think that with this, this not even movement, but I think like a a reckoning back to self with the trauma work. I think so often inside of the online space, I got lucky where I found, I think in the last year, um, one of my former coaches was actually like trauma informed nervous system, um, all that kind of fun stuff. And it really helped me to actually bring it more into not just my day to day, but also my business where even my clients now, before I even start any calls with them, any check-ins, I always ask, what is what is your capacity right now? On a scale to like one to 10, are you on low energy, just not feeling it? Are you like, I'm, I have them basically do their own body scan before we start because I realize that if I don't know and if they don't know how open they are right now to it, um, it's not going to be supportive. And I love this part, like you mentioned, where it really is meeting people where they're at true, like in all forms of the sense of, of this work. So I love that you mentioned that because I agree that sometimes especially as we're learning this it can be very easy for us to like just put it into everywhere and think that our people are going to come along with us but it has to be initial conversation because there are people who are still closed off to it or who might be the the fear of checking in with their body does feel super foreign does feel super scary because they weren't taught it or they're worried what might come out if they let them in like I hear usually the the response around crying like if I were to start crying I don't know if I'd be able to stop yeah. And as practitioners, we don't want to inadvertently re-traumatize our clients by rushing into something before they're ready um, or bringing up things that maybe they're, they're not ready to face or that they haven't faced yet. And so again, we just want to ask questions, seek consent, and, and be very careful about how we move forward. Now, as you build your relationship with your client over time, you get to know them, they get to know you. It doesn't always have to be this explicit 
Like, can we go here? Like you do develop kind of a rhythm, but I think it is important to think about how do we bake consent into every step of our process, even when we've been working with someone for weeks and months, uh, because that con consent is not blanket consent. You know, it's not like we get it once and then we're good for forever. We, we do need to continue to, to check back in. And I think that's why one of the core competencies from the International Coach, uh, Coaching Federation is around maintaining trust and safety and security in the coaching relationship. So when you have that basis of trust and safety, then you can continue to check in, you can check for consent, you can go deeper. And the client feels like I'm, my coach is with me, they're on my side, they're, they're gently challenging me, gently pushing me outside my comfort zone, but never to an extent where it feels unsafe or where I can't say, hold on, I, we need to slow down a bit. It's interesting you say that because I have a very vivid memory of a former mentor of mine who was very abrasive in that way. Um, and again, like the way that she would show up, it was kind of known for that. But for some reason, I was like, oh, I can, I can like power through it. I can do it. And there were times where, because there wasn't that, like you said, the, um, the blanket consent thing of like not checking in with me, there were times where I did feel really triggered. And unfortunately that both that person or even myself, I didn't know about trauma work or how to, how to go into that. So it left me feeling very, you know, triggered for the rest of the day or the week because I wasn't, I didn't know how to then go about this. It felt very, it wasn't even like holding up a mirror. It was like shoving a mirror in your face kind of thing. Yeah. And that, well, not only does it not feel good, but it doesn't work. You know, clients in order to be at a point where they're prepared to create change, they first need to feel like they are completely understood and affirmed by their coach. And one of the things I teach in my certification program, it's a really easy acronym, it's the CARE model. And CARE stands for Confirm, Affirm, Request, Engage. So before we request permission to move forward and before we engage with purpose, the second half of that, we first need to make sure our clients are 100% confirmed and affirmed. And so what that means is if they've said something, confirmation is simply making sure we fully understand what they've said, not just from a content perspective, but really from a process and from a deeper emotional level that we understand what it is they're trying to communicate. Once we know that, then we want to affirm or normalize whatever it is they've shared, letting them know that given what they've experienced or given where they're at today, it's understandable they might think or feel a certain way or that they might have taken a certain action. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with them. Affirming someone doesn't require agreement. It merely is placing their current experience into context to let them know it makes sense. There's nothing wrong with you per se. Uh, and once a client feels fully heard and fully validated, that's the point at which we can start exploring their readiness for change and what that might look like. But we cannot rush into it before a client feels fully confirmed and affirmed. And so when we kind of force a mirror in front of our clients' faces or where we demand that they do something or go to a place when they're not ready, we've skipped that first half of, of the equation. And that can be really damaging to the relationship. It really can be, and especially with the affirm side. I noticed this as someone who's been through uh, therapy on and off the last few years, had different therapists, and it's been really 
an interesting dynamic, the difference between like therapist versus coaching already. But even inside of the therapist's role, I noticed that there were some who didn't do the affirm part or the the compassionate side first. And there is a difference because it does feel like without that, it feels like then you're kind of invalidating the experience. They're going straight into then the solution or, you know, action oriented. And it's something that even myself, I noticed the last week or two, I have been setting a boundary with actually a lot of my friends where I'll mention something. We do a lot of voice memos uh, back and forth with each other. Sometimes it's just kind of like mini podcast or <laughs> just, you know, checking in. And there was two times where I noticed that they would give me like un, unasked for uh, suggestions or tips for things. And I had this the boundary saying that I love the intent you had with this. I love that you, you know, thought enough to want to create tips, but this time that's not what I need. And it actually makes it feel like I'm more of a project than a person. And I'd love to hear for your perspective, especially as you kind of blend, like you said, the niches around, especially business coaching or anything goal oriented how to really hold the space for, yes, they most likely do want to have an action step or something come out of the end of this, but knowing that we can only get there if we give them the space to kind of remember their humanness first. First off, I want to just applaud you for setting and maintaining those boundaries that you just articulated, um, because honestly, it's easy to set a boundary. It's a lot harder to maintain it. And that's where the real work comes in. So the fact that you did that really speaks a lot to your own sense of self, but also the relationship too, because relationships that are built on trust and respect can withstand boundaries being set. And if someone has a boundary with a, a problem with the boundary that you're setting, then that actually tells you a lot about that person and that relationship. So I just kind of want to like, like give you a shout out for doing <laughs> Thank that. You. Um, to your other point, you are right that ideally when we have a coaching session with our client, we want them walking away with something, whether it's an insight or an action step. We do want some sort of tangible shift that signals, okay, yes, we're making progress. This session was worth it. Um, and that's why at the beginning of every session, I do have a process that I go through with my clients and I want them to help shape the arc of our coaching session. I want them to set their agenda. I, as the coach, wanna be clear what it is they wanna explore and what an ideal outcome to today's session looks like. Now, sometimes that ideal outcome is, I just need to get everything out of my head and voiced because I'm a verbal processor and I can just trust that once I do that, things are gonna start falling into place. Okay, that's, that's great. Like that can be an outcome. Sometimes the outcome is I just want to feel more clear or I just want to have a better sense of whatever. And so with that kind of desired outcome, I may get a little more specific. I may ask them, well, what does clarity look like? What does it feel like in your body? How will we know that we've achieved this goal of clarity? And so we can kind of refine that even more, but it's all coming from the client so that their outcome and how we measure it and what we're working towards they're the ones driving that, not me. And then my role for the rest of the session is to ensure that I'm structuring it in, in such a way and asking questions in such a way that it's always tying back to their desired outcome and what it is we're going to measure. So there is a lot of structure that goes into 
a coaching session as well as a coaching relationship as a whole. But the way I like to approach it is if I'm creating that external structure for the container, then there's plenty of wiggle room inside that container to explore and to go on little tangents and make room for the magic and all that good stuff. But we have to have some definition for it or else the coaching session can run off the rails and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we've been talking for 45 minutes and we got to wrap up and we haven't even gotten anywhere yet. So it's about balancing that need for structure with creating space for spontaneity and creativity. That is something that I notice myself and I, I hope that more people do in the online space because it's something that I always add into. I think usually the first session I do with people who are coming on as clients in the initial scheduling link or whatever it might be, I always leave the last part of it asking the question of what would make this a you know successful session for you. But I love that you also bring it into the actual call, like the actual session at the beginning, because even for myself, I notice that I'll forget sometimes whether I be, I'm so excited about talking about a certain thing or we just like dive into things. It really is a conscious effort to start each session with that, but it really creates such a better, I feel like such a better ease for your people knowing that we are going to get to whatever outcome they are desiring, even if it is like you mentioned, just processing things, or if it is clarity on something, because you are setting the tone. And there is a really big, I think, difference in just coming to a session, just being like, so what do you need versus being like, okay, sure what do you need but also like what would make this session you know be the thing that would feel nourishing for you how can we find that nugget or that body cue to help you like you said find that clarity so I love that you mentioned that because I I would say about 90 percent of calls that I go on whether it be for um, coaching calls that like my coach is or anything like that they don't start with that and it does make a difference it does. You know, there's an expression. Uh, my, my husband shared it with me. He, he loves cars and he did this like driving experience. And one of his driving instructors said, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And so at the beginning, oftentimes we do need to slow things down and really go through stage by stage, part by part. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, and so I know sometimes to start every session with creating that structure might seem like we're slowing things down too much. We want to give our clients value. We want to maximize our time and, and efficiency and all of that. I, I get it. But I also know that if we take a few minutes at the beginning to slow things down and really set ourselves up for success, it's going to allow for a much smoother process which ultimately is going to make things more efficient and more effective. So this idea of slow is smooth, smooth is fast, I, I think can be applied broadly to so many things in life, but it definitely applies to the coaching experience. Um, and I will readily admit, I have to remind myself of that a lot. Um, yesterday, I kicked off a small group program that I'm running. It was our first session. It's about an hour. And I spent 45 minutes essentially on orientation. 30 minutes for introductions, 15 minutes to set expectations and uh, you know what they expect from me, what they can expect from the group. And it really required me to slow down. And I found myself getting anxious, like, oh, am I gonna have enough time at the end to actually do content? Are people gonna think this is valuable, you know, that they this is worth their time and their money? Like I started second guessing myself. But as it unfolded, I could see 
how vital it was that we started this way because it built group cohesion much faster. It set the tone for how we're going to engage with each other. I could kind of model what I hope to see in the group as well. And I think that is going to serve us as a group in the long run. So it doesn't necessarily come easily to me. And yet I also know when I trust that process and I go slow is smooth, smooth is fast, it works out in the long run. I really would reflect the same thing, even for the work that I do with clients around messaging or our funnel work. I, I find that I sometimes feel like I'm combating the industry's marketable positioning around funnels or messaging saying like, build the funnel in 24 hours, build the messaging, whatever it is. And I would very much say that every time someone goes down that path, they end up having to rebuild everything. They burn it down. They change it because if they would have taken that slow is smooth approach and slow does not mean like a year <laughs> just means right. more than, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, two months, sometimes three, if you're like, have a lot of stuff happening but that allows for you to have this then end result, whether it be funnel messaging, marketing, whatever it is, to stand the test of time versus going in with this approach of like, I just need to flip it around and then change it. I think it's very similar to the people who flip houses and like the people who approach it from a the space of like, let's flip things as quickly as possible to get it on the market. By the time the buyers come in, the, you know, the tiles are like still kind of chipped and there's like paint, like splotches everywhere because they didn't really have that detail orientation or that check-in process to really help to see, is this actually ready for people? And they would have probably been able to sell it for more because when people see that it kind of already devalues then the house too. I, I think that's such a great comparison. And I think when we talk about slow, what we're really talking about is moving with intention. And when we rush into things, often we are coming from a place of urgency and needing to get this done and needing this to happen fast. And there's this like frenetic energy behind it. When we slow down, we can take that frenetic energy and see it head on for what it is. And we can decide, all right, how do I want to move forward? What, what's going to feel good? What's going to serve my business? And so slowing down, I think, is really about bringing a deeper sense of intention and awareness to the work, whatever the work may be. Um, I also think it's important to call out the fact that the reason we all feel this, myself included, is because that's a consequence of productivity culture. It's a consequence of patriarchy. You know, we have been conditioned to think we have to go fast, 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 fast is best. We have to maximize our time. We've got to do everything the most efficient way possible so that we can produce more. And we've all grown up in this, right? It's it's in the air that we breathe. So when we fall into that trap, and I say we, because I certainly do, I have to remind myself that it's not because of some internal failing on my part. It's because this is what has always been expected of me in this culture. And if I want to do something different, it really is countercultural. And it takes time to rewrite those habits, those, those patterns, those neural pathways. It takes time to change those. And so it is a constant process of noticing and correcting, noticing and choosing something else until all of a sudden that becomes your new habit. It becomes your new default way of engaging with your clients, with your family, your friends, your partners, yourself, because it really does have that greater impact. 
And this is really where there is active work, because I think especially as someone who is always feel like I'm deconditioning myself in some form of productivity culture of page, like just everything societally (laughs) that we've uh, had. And I noticed, especially with, you know, growing up, my my family, they all were um, like real estate agents, brokers and stuff like that. But my dad, he, there was something in him to where he can still now to this day, 30 years later, work 12 hour days, six days a week without having a break. And I noticed like having that example in my life really tests my own ability to be like, that's not me. I I don't have that whatever motivation, whatever that is. And this is why I really believe and I'm, some, I'm curious to hear your thoughts too about part of being a coach is also seeing for your people, but also beginning to be a self-coach for yourself. And one of my favorite things is like looking for patterns to help look for evidence to see that what I'm looking at is not actually true. And one of my favorite things has been, it's kind of why I created the program about program purchases, because I realized the patterns when I had my best months, my highest months of sales, whatever it might be. It wasn't because I was doing the most. It was actually because I was prioritizing my mindset, my energy, and taking like specific aligned action that wasn't writing five emails in a day. It wasn't doing like 10 webinars or whatever. And when I started to realize that, I'm like, well, I can see my patterns. That means that I can now have evidence for my brain when it does go in that spiral to course correct. And I feel like part of the thing with coaching that I hope more people realize too is in life to be able to be a better coach to have also to be a better on the other side too is to begin to look at your own patterning and and reading yourself because you will have far better results in coaching too if you can also come to the call and be like here's the pattern that i've noticed like how can we address it versus you know having the lack of awareness that can happen too i could not agree more and i think self-coaching is a a foundational skill. I wish it was something we taught in schools because I think, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence and and self-coaching really relates to that because it allows us to raise our own awareness and deepen our understanding of how we operate, which in turn then informs our relationships because then if we understand how we work, then we can take the time to understand how someone else works and how we work together. And so there's this ripple effect that can create positive connections and positive relationships. It's, it's really why I'm on this mission about bringing coaching to the masses because the, the potential to change lives and change communities and change society, it's real. And I believe that if everyone had access to even just basic coaching skills that they could apply for themselves or with their relationships, we would see a real change. This whole idea of the care model that I shared before, I use that with my kids. I've got two teenage boys uh, trying to engage in conversation with two teenage boys. <laughs> like That can be really challenging, especially when they come home from school and things are either fine or mm-hmm. something's happened and they're angry. And as a mom, it's tempting for me to like want to come in and fix and problem solve and make it better. But instead, if I start from trying to understand what it is they're tell- really telling me. So that's the confirm. And then letting them know, yeah, man, that sucks. Like it, it sounds like that was a, a really bad day. And, and I understand why you might feel really angry about that. Well, there's the affirm piece. And that then in turn opens up the doorway to deeper communication. 
And so these coaching skills that we use with clients are certainly skills that we can use in our everyday life as well. Um, so yes, the, the idea of self-coaching and bringing these skills outside of the coaching room, outside of business and into the rest of our lives, I think just has such great potential to deepen our own satisfaction with our lives and our relationships. And isn't that what this is all really about? Honestly, at the end of the day, we just, we want to be happy. We want to have connections that are important to us. And I just see coaching as being one way to do that. I really believe after hearing, like you mentioned this as well, and reflecting on past relationships too, so many relationships could be revived or saved just by understanding coaching and the the ability to have that care model because especially, and this is where I'll go quick into a backstory for me, like unfortunately sometimes when you are dating or in partnership with men, they don't have the tools sometimes to do that care model. It's usually straight into E. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even C-A-R. <laughs> um, and I would, I think for a lot of those times, it would shape how the conversation would go if they would have come on the other side of that, especially like if I'm having a bad day or whatever it might be, if they were able to hold that space. And then also, I think the basis of all of this coaching work, which I think is very true for any self-development, is there has to be that openness and desire to change, to be aware, to be coached. And that's where, like, I love the part around you said consent, because the consent has to be given also to themselves too, because if they're not open to being coached, um, at that point, you're just on kind of like a phone call to gab about things. You're not able to go in deep. That's right. Again, that R piece of the care model requesting permission is so important that that's the consent piece. Uh, and to your point, there are days where maybe I don't want to do the work, you know, where, and I do view this work as self-care, but sometimes self-care is taking a nap or just watching something fun on Netflix or whatever it is. I mean, we need balance in our lives. And so not everything always has to be this deep investigative approach to our own selves. Sometimes we just need like a pint of haagen and a really, you know, trashy show on and like that can be restorative too. Um, so it is about understanding what it is you need in the moment and being compassionate and responsive to it. And, um, and I think when we can do that for others as well, that's a real gift. And I've learned with my husband actually, if he comes home from work and there's something going on and I, I know I have to ask him, do you need to speak to your wife or do you need to speak to your coach? Mm. Not that I'm his coach per se, but I do take on a consultative role with his business sometimes at his request. And so I need to know, how do you want to engage with me right now? Or even who are you engaging with right now? Because how I show up as your wife is different than how I might show up in more of a coaching context. And I learned that I had to ask that because sometimes he would even say to me, you need to stop that social work shit with me, or you got to stop that coaching shit with me, <laughs> you know, from a loving place. But mm -hmm. I, I took his point. I was kind of going there without asking if that was what he wanted. And so checking in and just saying, how can I best support you right now? What do you need from me? That allows me to know how to respond and also lets him feel like, okay, I, I'm not being told what to do. I'm not being psychoanalyzed. Like this really is a partnership. And it takes the pressure, I think, too, off of you, the person who's who's asking, because then, especially as someone who 
Um, I grew up with having kind of an anxious attachment style to where I was always wondering or trying to diagnose what's being said under the lines of figuring out what they need that when you're just able to ask the person, Hey, do you need to vent? Or do you want to like problem solve or vent? Or do you want to like find some a solution for it? You then take so much weight off of yourself, trying to then kind of carry so much of their own stuff when that could just be kind of solved by that one question. So I love that you mentioned that too, because, and I agree, there's going to be times where no one can be perfect all the time with this work. Like there are going to be times where you forget, where you're tired. But I think if you make it a commitment to to that, where you're really doing it to, as a way to like make the relationship better, but also to make your life easier too, because when you're able to have that, the R part, especially you are saving yourself so much time, so much headache, trying to figure out what to do or what to go into with them as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. And that's why like the care model, it is simple. It is simple, but simple doesn't always mean easy. Mm -hmm. And to really slow things down and take the time to apply it in a way that is compassionate, but also clear, that that takes work. And that takes that takes time to master. So I find a lot of things in coaching actually on the surface look quite simple, but when we actually explore the implementation, uh, that simplicity very quickly becomes complex, which is one of the things that I love about it because then we can choose, well, what level do I want to engage with here? How, how deep do I want to go? And, you know, some sessions are more transformative and some sessions are more restorative. And so really working with your client to help them figure out what do you need today and where are we going with this? There's such flexibility and we can adapt. And that's why I do believe it's really important that coaches have some level of coaching education to support their work. Now, that may or may not look like a full-on certification program. And even though I run a, an ICF accredited certification program, I'm not going to sit here and say every coach needs one because I, I think that paints in too broad a brush. But what I will say is I do believe every coach should be investing in their own education. That might be a certification program. It may be working with their own coach or a mentor coach. It may mean attending workshops and small groups and continuing education or creating a self-study program out of podcasts and books. For me, the what of your education is less important than are you doing the work? Are you really intentionally spending the time and energy to improve your own skill set as an ethical coach. So for me, education is a non-negotiable, but I recognize that that path is going to look different for every coach. I agree. And I think it's something that, I mean, that's being a human, I think, is believing that everything's going to be linear or that it's all going to be the same path for someone, I think is unfortunately, um, for lack of a better term, hopeful naively mm -hmm. hopeful or optimistic, but that's just not the case for so many of us. And I want to commend you for always creating a very intentional container with all that you do. Like you're, you're the way that you show up, the way that you also engage in the program, which for those who don't know, I'll be a guest expert in her upcoming, well, in your program uh, coming around the same week, this is coming out. So if you want to dive into that and also hear about some of the stuff that I'm doing in direct relation to like the coaching space, that'll be great for you. But I just want to just give you a final note here before we kind of send off on you are one of the people who truly embody the work that you do and both from the space of like the coaching side, but also adding the somatic work in like you really are someone who is not just a lifelong lear learner for the sake of learning, but really to help to shape 
the best container, the best person that you can become for your people and for yourself, which I just wanted to give you a quick praise on. Well, I received that gratefully. That is so lovely. And I, I really appreciate that because that's what I strive for. I think like you, I would say we probably share a core value of integrity and that if we're going to show other people how to do something, we need to make sure that we've done it ourselves. And I never ask my clients to do anything that I'm not willing to do or that I haven't already done as well. And so the way you just described that, I really take as such a compliment because it speaks to that desire to always serve from a place of integrity. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you. My pleasure. And I know everyone who's looking at this is going to want to find all the things about you and the, the certification and just all the things you're doing. So I'd love for everyone just to give a quick note on where they can find you, how they can learn more about you, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So I'm pretty much at Coach with Clarity everywhere. So you can go to coachwithclarity.com. You can learn more about the Coach with Clarity podcast there, which is just something I love to create. And I hope it's a really valuable resource for people who are interested in both the art and the business of coaching. And at Coach with Clarity, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, pretty much all the places. So you can come find me wherever you are. And we'll put all those links down below. So in case you like a certain platform or you just want to dive into all the things, they'll all be down there below. But I just want to say thank you so much, Lee, for coming on. This has been I really think a beautiful discussion of um, what I'm hoping the coaching space and the business space in general is moving towards in the next few years. I hope so too. And I am so honored to have been invited on your show so we could have this conversation. Thanks, Danielle. My pleasure. I'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Online Presence Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go down and give a five-star review. And if you want to continue the conversation, be sure to follow us at Danielle Clem with three M's on Instagram. And if you're ready to take your scaling journey to the next level, head over to danielleclem.com for our own life-changing offers. See you on the interwebs and in the next episode.